is The Jolt with Larry Flick on Sirius XMLQ. There are moments in your life when you think, nah, that'll never happen. Sometimes they do. Like the one we're about to experience right now here on The Jolt, Sirius XMLQ. I'm Larry Flick with the legendary Carol Burnett. Oh. What a thrill. You. Thank you, Larry. What a thrill. Thank you. You look like you. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean. Sometimes you meet people and mm-hmm. they don't look like they don't look like themselves. They look pulled and tucked and shoved into some I don't know what, but you look like actual Carol Burnett. Wrinkles and all. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. <laughs> Carol Burnett is here to talk about a number of things, including a, uh, a six-disc collector set called The Carol Burnett Show, The Lost Episodes, which is available via Time Life. Um, is, it, is it at all surprising, forgive me for an obvious start, but I can't resist, is it at all surprising that the show has endured all of these years? Well, yes, I think it is. Uh, but in analyzing it, if you want want to, I think uh, funny is funny. Mm. Uh, and we very seldom were topical. So we went for the comedy, you know, that, uh, that everybody would uh, identify with. You know, you look at, uh, say, the dentist sketch that, Tim and Harvey did, which is over 40 years old. I dare anybody not to have a great belly laugh out of that because it's just so funny. And uh, I think a lot of our sketches were, were that. Certainly we had great music and great great uh, songs and singers, uh, you know, as guest stars. And also what we tried to do was, for instance, when we would have a guest star on who was a singer, say, or a dancer, we would often put them in sketches. We, in other words, it wasn't oh, like a variety show where here's an act and you never see them again. We tried to use all of our guest stars with our rep company and do a mini musical comedy Broadway review a week. There was always that great finale. Yes, we would do wonderful finales. Always yeah. the best. Yeah. Epic. Epic. <clears throat> How did you pull that off week after week? Because even as a as a, a young boy watching the show, I would try to figure out how they do that because it just seems so epic. Well, we did it uh, as if we were doing summer stock. You know, summer stock group they would do that week after week after week, uh, an original uh, musical comedy review a week. And that's what we did. We did it as if it were a live show, too. And uh, we came from New York, a lot of us, uh, who had come from theater. But also, several of our people had been on the staff of the Gary Moore show when I was a second banana to Gar- for Gary. So we got our head writer from Gary's show. We got our choreographer from Gary's show, our producer our associate producer a director uh two uh one lead dancer even moved out uh from new york to be with us to start so it was smooth from the get-go 
it was smooth and we never over rehearsed uh in fact i maybe worked somebody asked me once how many hours a week i worked on on our show it was about 25 maybe my goodness yeah we were organized highly organized and also um we taped it uh as live as we could because uh i i'm from theater and i'm like a war horse when it comes to being in front of an audience i cannot stand it to do a television show and keep an audience waiting that studio audience is very important because if they're hot and if they're laughing that just makes us better so i it was like a an ironclad rule i would make a bet with the stagehands for instance that I could do a skin out change faster than they could move that sofa across the room. My goodness. Because I want it like, like the theater, like a Broadway show. So we would do uh, tape an hour and 15 minutes because we'd go over with the cue and the questions and answers in about two hours. Wow. With all the costume changes, all the musical numbers, all the sketches, everything. And if something went wrong, uh, unless the scenery fell in and knocked us in the head, we keep going. Which is ultimately what led to some of the, <laughs> the most beautiful moments on the show, particularly <laughs> between... With Tim and Harvey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you sometimes would just wait. Yeah. And it seemed like it was a little game that they had. Well, it was, Harvey was very proud of the fact that he was a consummate comedic actor. And he used to really get very pissed off at himself really for laughing at tim and it was tim's goal in life to get him and so we would do the dress we would tape the dress rehearsal which was at five o'clock in front of an audience and then we would get a different audience in for the eight o'clock show and tape that of course and so tim would do the the first show the way we'd rehearsed it and then he would check with the um director so you get all the shots in the first show and Dave always did, and then Tim would go crazy in the second, in the second taping, and it, he would do stuff we never saw. Amazing. But it was gold. It was gold. Amazing. Yeah, so you know we've been accused of you know laughing and stuff like, but I I, I swear none of it was ever on purpose. But that was the beauty of the show. You felt like you were watching human beings having a human experience, That's right. having a great time. Mm -hmm. um, I always believed that y'all liked each other. Oh, we did. Um, it was a family. I believe that very, very deeply, and and that's what made me want to watch. Mm -hmm. um, Thank I'm, you. I'm curious to know where you or how you developed your timing, because... Uh, Comedy doesn't just happen. It comes from, it's a far more precise art than drama, from my point of view, mm -hmm. as an observer. Where do you develop that? How do you discover you have that? I don't know. Have you I, never even thought about it? No, not really. Um, but certainly you improve with experience. You know, you start out pretty raw and everything, but... Uh, I think you're born with a funny bone, you know. Mm. Uh, just, I, I look at uh, Tim Conway, what he, I mean, the genius of him, you know, it never stops. That Those little wheels are always turning, and he's always coming up with something new. Uh, you're born with that. He 
his parents weren't. They were pretty kind of straight laced, <laughs> everything, you know. Really? Yeah, and he was an only child, and uh, but he came up with stuff that was uh, about even about them that was so funny. What he tells a story of the time <laughs> one time when his father, uh, uh, the, oh, the doorbell wasn't working on their house. Okay, and it was one of those little silver doorbells with the black button, you know. And it just was not working. And so uh, Tim's mother kept saying, let's get an electrician in. And the father said, damn it, I'm going to do it. I can do it. Okay, so one day Tim comes home from school, and the little doorbell is off, you know, with the wires hanging, and his father's, you know, with the screwdriver fixing it and so forth. And he fixed it. The only trouble was it kept ringing until someone pushed the button. (laughs) <laughs> so, now nobody would say anything oh, so they're goodness. sitting at dinner that night and the buzzer is going <laughs> and when it stopped it goes stop tim says i'll get it oh my goodness <laughs> now that's you know he just he grew up with that but he saw the humor mm. in everything now you're born with that yeah you sure are it's carol burnett joining us on the jolt i'm larry flick um the thing that was interesting about the show uh, was that over time, we would see uh, recurring characters, um, but there would occasionally, and it eventually was, the 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 family. Yes, and that was as sad and heartbreaking. Yeah, as it was funny. Yes. Um, do you remember when you realized that you had tapped into? something so layered so beautifully textured well that was in the seventh year i believe yeah <clears throat> that was i the minute i read it i thought whoa this is <clears throat> this is heavy and it can be very funny or it can be very very sad uh because it was an ultimate dysfunctional family yeah and there wasn't one joke in it there, there were no jokes it was all about character and I just thought this is, but when I read it, to me, I, I I just went southern. You know, it don't talk like this. You know, so they weren't conceived as southern people. No, and really, I, no. And I that's how I saw it. So we had the first reading on Monday in my office, and Vicky and Harvey followed suit with the accents. So we would do a run through on Wednesday, and with the crew and the writers there. And the writers were very upset. The two writers who, who created this, Dick Clare and Jenna McMahon, said, the South, you can't do it that way. That We didn't write it that way. They were from uh, Chicago. And they both hated their mothers. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's how that came about. Wow. But they were upset and they thought we would alienate half the country, you know. But I just felt like Tennessee Williams time to me. Yeah. You know, and we did it and uh the mail was terrific. The you know, the response and then Dick and uh, Jenna were fine with it after that. But one time, Larry, we Maggie Smith was on the show and we were doing a family sketch where Eunice and Mama and Ed are called in by Maggie Smith who is our bully son's teacher. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. And so the whole sketch is all about the fact that Bubba, whom we never saw, our son, was a big bully, and the teacher was talking to us about it. 
and that uh, finally the teacher realizes where Bubba got his bulliness from, okay? And so one of us decided, I don't remember who it was, said, you know, just for the heck of it in rehearsal, let's do this straight. Let's do it without the accents, without the over-the-top way that we would do it, as if we were doing a one-act, a scene from a play, without doing Eunice, per se, and Ed, you know. It was devastating. It was so beautifully written that you could do it either comedically or straight, either way. And it was a great acting experience for us because it was so beautifully written. You could take it. And then we said, okay, now let's do it the way we go over the top. And it was funny. Wow. I, I, I remember that, that, that scene vividly as much as I also remember uh, one of the most heartbreaking but ultimately hilarious scenes, which was the game of sorry. Oh, yes. <laughs> it was like, slide! I mean, <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. But then hard not to watch it and want to cry. Yeah. yeah. Because she never won. Never won. She never won. Remember the gong show when she uh, went on the gong show? Yeah. And got and it gonged. Just, and it just, the uh, camera just pulled away. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Devastating. It was. Devastating. Do you, I mean, what do you think when you, when, you know, you have, we have this beautiful collection of, of shows. When you look at that, what is that like for you? Because for us, we're just thinking that's art, that's magic, that's a masterclass in performance. What does it feel like for you? Well, at first, you know, when you see the first few shows and everything, we were pretty raw. And, you know, we were all just starting out. And uh, I mean, I'd done the Gary Moore show, but look, you look at Vicki, she was 18 years old. Yeah. And Harvey, you know, and uh, in watching the five years, which I did do, I felt like Norma Desmond in Sunset <laughs> Boulevard. <laughs> <laughs> but in watching those, I you see the growth and the development of, of, of all of us, you know, of, uh, and how we morphed into being more sure of ourselves and so forth. So it's kind of, and of course, what's fun is the hairdos and the clothes and, and, you know, but, but again, funny is funny. Yeah. Uh, the beautiful thing about, about your show is that it feels like, and again, I was uh, not as aware as I am now. It feels like it was appreciated in its time almost as much as it's appreciated now. It was. I mean, we were thrilled. Uh, the network, when we started out, didn't uh, hold, they didn't think we were going to do that that well. You know, and, uh, we didn't even know that we would. And, uh, but uh, it, it held up. Do, do you ever, do you ever look around and, and see what some of the rest of us see, which is that a show like that? hardest people try could never happen today well it couldn't from the the standpoint of the production because we had a 28 piece orchestra we had 60 to 70 costumes a week that bob mackey designed we had 12 dancers we had singers we had at least two guest stars a week and a rep company today they no network you couldn't afford it mm. 
it was less money then, you know. And um, also today, they, well, I, I won't get into that. What I'm saying is sometimes they take forever to tape and to do stuff, which also costs a lot of money, I guess, you know, because we would do an hour and 15 minutes in about two hours. Because I, did, I didn't want to keep the audience waiting, right. you know. But uh, the talent is there. The talent is there. I believe the talent's there as well. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if um, what I loved about the show, uh, in retrospect, in watching uh, this this package, and again, it's uh, the Carol Burnett show, The Lost Episodes, um, is, the, is how not self-conscious you all were. You all just seem to be doing it. Well, we, I'm, I'm just finished writing my fourth book that's going to come out next year, and it's called In the Sandbox. And that's what we, that it's all about our show, how it started, a lot of the sketches, anecdotes about some of the guest stars, on and on and on. And what we did was get in the sandbox as kids it would and play. That's what I wanted. I wanted that same feeling we had on the Gary Moore show, that we're in this together. It's a rep company. My name may be in the title, but I'll be in a sketch that will support Harvey. I'll be in a sketch that will support Tim, Vicky. They'll be in sketches that will support each other, that will support me. It was a true rep company, and that's what I wanted. And I remember we all got together before the first taping. I said, you know what? Let's just go out there and have fun. Mm. Isn't that why we're all in the business? Really? We want to have fun? It's ideally the point. Uh, was it hard to get the opportunity that you had back then as a woman? Well, uh, it, it would have been, except I had this very weird clause in a contract for CBS. I had a 10-year contract that I signed when I was leaving the Gary Moore show. And for some reason, there was a clause in, that said, in the first five years, if I wanted to push the button and do a variety show, one-hour variety show, CBS would have to put it on the air, whether they wanted to or not. 31-hour pay-or-play variety shows. Wow, you had a good lawyer. I sure did. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was an agent or something that came up with that, and I said, oh, I'll never exercise that clause. I couldn't be a host of you. Know, the last week, of the show, I was the last five days of that fifth year. Uh, I decided to push the button, and I called CBS, and a vice president picked up the phone, and I said, "You know, I want I want to push that button and do what they forgot." Oh my goodness! They'd forgotten the five years, right? And he said, "Oh well, I'll, I'll get back to you." You know, and he called the next day. He said, "Oh yeah, I I see that in the contract." You know, and he said, "But you know." Variety is a man's game, <sighs> Carol. You know, it's Milton Berle, it's Sid Caesar, now it's Dean Martin, you know. And they tried to talk me into doing a half-hour sitcom where I'd be the same character week after week. And I said, no, I want to be different. I want I want to do what Sid Caesar does. I want to do what, you know, all of that, uh, and music and rep company and dancing and singing and all of that. Guest stars. And they had to put us on the air. Incredible. Or it wouldn't have happened. That's an incredible story. 
Again, that's Carol Burnett joining us here on The Jolt. I'm Larry Flick. Now, there is, um, there's also something else very extraordinary happening in Miss Burnett's life. Uh, her play, Hollywood Arms, mm-hmm. is uh, going to be back on stage after 15 years for one night only. Well, it's just a reading, but uh, and, you know. That's on September 21st. Uh-huh. And it's uh, sponsored by Sundance. Yep. Sundance Theater Lab. Uh, that's where we, uh, my daughter and I developed the play was at Sundance years ago. And why, why now? What is it about this moment? I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, Philip Hinberg, who was a theatrical director at Sundance, who was kind of our mentor when Carrie and I uh, worked at Sundance on this play, he, uh, last year he said, Carol, why don't we... We'd love to put a reading together again for Hollywood Arms, and I was just absolutely thrilled. And we have Tyne Daly is in it, and uh, Michelle Park, who was in the original Broadway show and won the Tony for her role in our play. Uh, she's in it, Anthony Edwards, and the two young girls from Fun Home. Wow. Yeah, so it's a, it's a nice, wonderful cast. Have you gone back and read the the piece recently? Hollywood Arms? Mm-hmm. No. Mm-mm. Are you? Are you? Uh, have you thought about what parts you're looking forward to hearing? Oh, I'm looking forward to seeing the whole thing. Yeah, of course. You know, there's some. Uh, see, my daughter Carrie. It was her idea to write it, and she called me all those years ago, and she said, "You know, because I'd written a memoir about growing up in Hollywood, and you know, my mother, my grandmother, my dad." me you know and how everything happened um and she said i think we could do the first part of that memoir and let's write a play because carrie was a writer also mm-hmm. and uh, so we wrote it together however we were never in the same room together she had a cabin in colorado and i was in la and we faxed everything back and forth the scenes and then uh, philip read the first hundred pages and said why don't you come and develop this at sundance and so we worked on it again, and then um, I gave it to Hal Prince, my friend, the director, to read, to give us some ideas of what kind of a young director we might find who would want to do it, you know, off-Broadway or whatever. And Hal Prince said, I'd like to direct it. So he directed our show. My goodness. Yeah. What a thrill, right? Yeah. What a thrill. What, what, what stimulates you now? creatively what gets what gets you excited well um i like doing guest shots on certain certain television shows not a lot um i'm going to be doing another hawaii 50 which i enjoy doing um this coming fall um i and i'm i've been writing again uh yeah as i said my book um in the sandbox that's almost finished going to be working on that uh, I go out uh, every once in a while and I do Q&A on the road in various theaters and various uh, venues across the country. And um, nothing is planned. I never know what anybody's going to ask. It's all random. So that keeps the old gray matter ticking, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it was it, very much the way the show opened, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, I just come out and I say, okay, bump up the lights, any questions? Um, one last very, very frivolous question. Is it true that you um, had to had to really press Bob Mackey to put pockets in all of your 
outfits. <laughs> yes. I I thought I'd read somewhere that you yeah. that you needed some place to put I your said, hands. What am I going to do with my hands? You know. <laughs> <laughs> and so I said, Can you? and he put pockets in everything for me, so that when I wasn't sure what to do, you know, I just put my hands in my pocket. Isn't that something? Yeah. What a thrill. Thank, thank you, you so much Mary, for your time today. You. The uh, the Carol Burnett Show, The Lost Episodes, is available. Please do get a copy. Stick around. There's more to come on The Jolt.